I'm Laura Gentry Williams, and you're listening to Adopting It Forward. Adopting It Forward allows people to share their adoption stories in order to encourage you wherever you are in your adoption marathon, from bystander to runner in training to participant. Enjoy today's story. Hey everyone, welcome to episode 26 of the Adopting It Forward podcast. Today we hear from our good friends, Kara and Micah Muir. These two live in a town called Channing in West Texas, population 400. I loved being able to reconnect with this family since they moved about six hours away from us several years ago. Yep, still all in Texas. You know, we're a big place. Kara and Micah share candidly about life with five grown bio kids, five adopted children, and five grandchildren. Phew! Life is never dull or completely quiet, as you'll hear during our chat, as the precious little one in their lap interjects occasionally. So now, please enjoy my conversation with Micah and Kara. Well, welcome, Micah and Kara. Thank you so much for doing this, guys. I'll just go ahead and say right now that we all, anyone who's listening to this is not just sitting around every day. They've probably got kids too. So I really appreciate you guys doing this in your busy life. (laughs) Thank you for having us. Right now, I'm looking at this really cutie patootie. She's leaning in close. She likes to see her face in the Zoom call here. So cute. So you guys, tell us about yourselves. We've had a lot of change. We've been on staff at Paramount in Amarillo, which is a fairly large church. And I was uh, one of the missions pastors there. I was working for the state convention, uh, the Southern Baptist Texas Convention, as, as their panhandle consultant. Then we left Paramount. We began praying about a year before that with the pastor there. It's time to pastor again. And so we looked at some opportunities and through praying, there's a long story behind that door opened it here in Channing, Texas, the first Baptist in a church that hadn't had a pastor in seven years. And they had an interim the whole time. The guy who was a pastor in Amarillo, he grew up here. So he would come out in the afternoons and do a service, but they just lacked having a pastor on the field in the seven years. And I'd preach to this church back in 2011, 2012. Matter of fact, the night that we got Josh and Caden, which is our first two foster kids, I was on my way to preach in Channing, Texas, when Kara called me. And so when I got home, they were there. And so that was in 2011. And, and so July 1st, we left Paramount, kind of a step of faith, and we came to a bivocational church here in Channing. And then December 31st was our last day at the convention. They went to reorganization, combined some positions, and so we came bivocational with the convention, and now we're really bivocational. <laughs> wow. So, so I started substituting with the school after the first of the year. Okay. Uh, here Channing, so that's been fun. I mean, no, seriously, stop right there. Substitute teachers. I am a teacher, and all anyone out there who's a substitute teacher or ever thought about it being a substitute teacher, bless you, because... We are like begging. We love our subs. They're the best. They're so important right now. <laughs> Some people are just not, you know, I mean, it's a weird pandemic world. So we need our subs. So I know all the teachers in Channing are like, bless you, bless you. Thank you so much. <laughs> and then Kara, I'll let her say what's been going on with her. Nothing different. Just at home with kids. <laughs> uh, yes, it is. <laughs> you guys, well, tell us about your kids. Like your, what everybody, all their kind of ages and who's doing what. Our, so, okay, we have five biological children. And then we begin foster care. Our goal is to foster. We have now adopted five children. So we have 10 total. So they are oldest, Micah Jr. is 30. Catherine is 28. Joe Charles is 25. Joshua Allen is 21. Kristen is 20. Those are the original, they call themselves the originals. (laughs) Then we begin adopting. And so we have a second Josh. And so it's Josh David and he is 11. Caitlin is nine. And then Samuel is seven. He just turned seven. And then Isabel is three. Gracie is two. And then we have five grandkids who are they're 10, 10, 8, 3, and a month. 
Oh, so you're going in fives is what you're saying. We do five bios, five adopted. We're doing the five grandchildren. So, and then, and I've just, the Lord still blessed us even just with financial changes and job changes and stuff. I'm still at home, which works really well because Gracie, our littlest has health issues with her heart. And so before COVID, she was already quarantined, isolated. So really nothing new for us with COVID. <laughs> so she doesn't leave the house except for doctor's visits. So oh, really mm-hmm. just keeping her safe with, uh, because of her heart conditions, her oxygen levels, they're never over 82 is pretty much her normal, but usually they're between 78 and 82. So for her to get anything like that would be pretty risky. So we just keep her in. Wow. So this is very interesting because we have known each other for a pretty long time. Like I had your bios in the nursery at our church. We met because Micah was in seminary. And, you know, the cool thing I've always thought about you guys is you never really would say about yourselves, maybe that you were missionaries, but in so many ways, you lived almost a missionary life in Texas. Because I remember the first time you said, can Caitlin, my daughter, come over and play? I was like, well, sure. So I pull up to your house and y'all were renting and, you know, near, it wasn't even near the seminary. I guess you guys had found, you know, kind of out in the country a little bit at first in this little house, you had all five kids there, I think. Yes. Yeah. We moved there with three left with five. <laughs> okay. Okay. Well, when I met you, I don't remember, I think you might've been pregnant with. I was pregnant with uh, Kristen. Okay. I think you were, pre- yeah, that's right. You're pregnant with Kristen. And so we, I bring her over and I'm like, oh my goodness, because it was a two bedroom, right? Yes. And you had all those kids in there. No problem. Everybody was just all happy as a clam, all in this tiny little house. And I remember you telling me, it's just funny because I was like, I was fascinated. I'd only done one kid at a time with mine seven years apart. So I was like, your kids are adorable, super fun, a little chaotic. How are you? doing all this and your husband was in seminary and y'all were making it work somehow with that. And you were, I remember you to, I don't know why this stuck in my head, but you're like, yeah, I, I make everything last everything in my life. I spread it as thin as I can. For instance, mascara, I put a little water in my mascara and make it last a lot longer. And then <laughs> it just stuck in my head. I was like, bless you. You're you were thinking all the time of how to spread everything in your life. And I know a lot of times moms, we do for ourselves last, but just y'all's example of that and how you still always invited in. You always had an extra three or four kids in your car. You always ministered in that way. And you guys moved on campus and seminary and a little bit later and stuff to a much bigger house. But I always admired you guys and how you could make things work. I never dreamed that you continue having more kids to me. Five was a little bit overwhelming, but <laughs> not to you guys. <laughs> it's like, ah, you've always had your car with everybody had a friend. So <laughs> one more. exactly. So how did you guys meet? Karen and I were both born in Texas, but I moved to Las Vegas to live with my father in about 1980. And in 1988, Kara mom and her siblings and stepdad moved to Las Vegas as well. And so moved about five streets over from me. It was a little community. And so we met at, there was a neighborhood park kind of deal. And so we met there. So it had been our sophomore year. She moved after her freshman year to Vegas. And so we met and living in the same neighborhood, going to the same school. And began dating in 1988. And of course, you know, part of our testimony, we were married young. And so we married our junior year. We were both 16 when we got married. And so that's how we met, was in Las Vegas. But again, I was originally from Austin. Kara was originally from south of Dallas and Midlothian. All right. Yeah. So you ended up back in Midlothian. <laughs> yeah. You guys met in high school. Here you are, such a success. I've actually interviewed several high school sweethearts. And do you feel like, looking back now, you guys have been married how many years? 31. Oh my goodness. 31 years. Do you feel like growing up together is a help or a hindrance to a marriage in some ways? You know, for us, when we first got married, we weren't serving the Lord. And I wasn't a believer. Kara was not serving the Lord. And 
And obviously it's not easy to be married at 16. And so the first five or so years were rough. And then I became a believer and, you know, Kara started going to church and everything. And, and her dad's who led me to the Lord. And so, and then we had to learn how to be married. You know, we both came from not the best homes. You know, the models for marriage ended up being in the church. We were discipled in the church and marriage. And so really the Lord blessed us. But, you know, we've been together longer than we haven't been together. I can't imagine any other, any other way. I don't like the early years. It's because they were rough. But we probably learned things we wouldn't learn any other way. Now, God would have rather had us serving him. It's so convicting, though, for couples in the church. We are so blessed to be able to minister to some young couples in our church right now. And it is very convicting because we do forget sometimes how important, especially a lot of these couples that we're ministering with did come from broken homes and they need that. It's not a perfect example, not even close, but they need that mentoring like you're talking about. That's really good because you guys did want to try to navigate with your kids as a young couple and try to do things with your family. So that's really good. Do you guys remember your first conversation about foster care? We were talking about that this morning. Kara actually does. So I'll let her tell that story. (laughs) We were in seminary and it was, we were, it was a Christmas party, but a work Christmas party where Mike was working with in seminary. So we were in their home and on their refrigerator, they had all of these pictures of babies. And so I was just like, what, you know, where are all these babies that they did foster care and they chose to only do babies and they only did short term. Their goal, their goal is just to foster. And just in that moment, I looked at that refrigerator. She was talking about, I'm like, we can do that. And I just, I remember knowing that, especially for me, because, um, because of an accident when I was younger and um, at 14, they told me I wouldn't have children and we have 10 now, but <laughs> that's way bigger than <laughs> Even in that moment, by the time we had our fifth child, I really couldn't have any more. My body was done. So I really thought that was it. But when I saw those pictures, I thought we can, you know, and even though our goal wasn't adoption in the beginning, I still knew that, well, I don't know that I've ever known that anything else to do but kids. So I just, as I looked, but no, stop right there, because that is such a gift. And the thing that sometimes happens, even with pastor's wives, with any wife, sometimes we feel like anytime I interview someone who's a pastor's wife and she's staying home with the kids and doing different things, like she's ministering just as much as he is. We all know that anyone who's been in ministry of any sort, you're with your husband, you are with him in ministry. I've always loved that about you, but also the way you, (laughs) even when you had your own baby, you were also holding somebody else's baby That is your gifting and your nieces and nephews and other friends and family members. That is your gift. And that is not something to be taken lightly. And I feel like you have definitely, Kara, made a lifetime of saying, well, this is what I, you you said that, oh, that's all I need to do is kids. Well, that's a gift. And it's been precious to watch with your siblings and with, you know, all the different people that you're always bringing in. So love that. And then it was quite a long time, about 10 years when we were living in River Road, he was pastoring River Road. We just went to an informational meeting with one of the agencies and we got some false information. And so we just didn't get started because we didn't think we could yet, which worked out just the Lord's timing, definitely. And so we actually didn't begin until we began the process in 2011. And finally got certified in August of 2011. And in October, we had our first two children. But at that point, two of our oldest kids were already out of the home. So we only had three at home. We had moved from Amarillo to Pampa to pastor there. And so we had a little bit bigger house and things like that. So it really was the Lord's timing. Did you have the misgivings that some people say about fostering that it's going to be so hard bringing these kids in and then having to let them go either back to be reunited with their families, as is the hope, or to go to another family and not be chosen as their adoptive family. What kind of misgivings did you, what were you thinking during that time? At the beginning, we'd never even imagined adoption. So when we first started, we just thought we were going to be foster parents. We thought we have five children, so we're just going to be the in-between we made an agreement in the beginning that every child that comes into our home is ours until a judge says otherwise. And so we'd fight for them, you know, be their advocates, 
you know, love them. They would be just like our children. But again, we didn't think about adoption, but the first two that came to our house were the first two we adopted. <laughs> um, so at the beginning, it was, you know, we made a covenant. We were going to, again, love each child like our own, treat them like their own, fight for them, and do all those things. But then when the adoption came up, from then on, it was different. And I'll let Kara speak to this because we've spoken to so many people about this very issue. You know, first, when we began foster care, you know, the Lord just reminded me, you say yes. And that's anything the Lord calls us to. You say yes, and I'll do the rest. So it was by his grace that even when it was time to say goodbye or let go or whatever. And so what he showed me in the process of all of that is if I choose to never say goodbye, then I never get the hello. Mm. And that's how I help, hopefully help people who are thinking about foster care. The goodbyes are hard. I can't tell you they're not because they are. They hurt and they're forever. But I know that that child belongs to the Lord, whether they're in my home or not. And so he just promised me, you know, just the ideal. If you'll be willing to say goodbye, then I'll give you a hello and all the way in between until that goodbye with that child. And so that's um, oh, how- that is beautiful. I love that. That's a great for anything. Okay. You step into a new church, you step into a new friendship, into any relationship. You can't constantly be thinking about the goodbye. (laughs) Yeah, that's really good. Well, sometimes even in ministry, when new people come into your church or you welcome these new families in, and then you're like, well, what if they leave? What if we can, what if ourselves to death on most risk? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the reality is that when you do foster to adopt or you just foster, it is like losing a child because God has called us to love these children with abandon. And so, when, you know, the first little girl that we had leave, we thought we were going to adopt. We were broken. And uh, she was adopted by some family in California. So we talked to the judge and we didn't want to put her on an airplane. We asked, can we drive her to California and help transition her? So we did that. And the night we left was terrible. Uh, we drove out of the neighborhood and it's pulled over and wet because we felt like we'd left our daughter somewhere. We're still in contact with her and her family and we get pictures and birthday songs and the Lord's blessed that. But the reality is that love involves risk and, and, it, and it should hurt. And if we're doing this right, it, it should hurt when a child goes to their home because you love them like your own. But at the same time, we trust the Lord. Right. Exactly. We have to trust yeah. him that these kids are going to the home that the Lord has made a path for. And if we're the ones being like, well, no, it needs to come to us every time. Is that trusting him? Because otherwise, yeah, you're going to have a hundred kids. So is there a general number of kids that you have actually brought into your home, but they've transitioned somewhere else? Look here account. One of the weird things about us, all of our placements have been long-term. We've had very few of, we've done some respite, but most of our placements we've had a long time. And so it's been kind of interesting you know, here's some people that said, we've had 30 kids in five years. I'm like, wow, that's a lot. But we, as far as just coming to our home and left, it's been. So we've had seven other children, not counting the five we've adopted. Okay. Yeah. Which doing it for nine years, that's a low number. Right. But like he said, we've had on. We had one for a little over a month when she went to her grandma, which that was a tough deal. And then. We had one just for six months. The rest of ours had been nine to 13, 14 months at a time. And one of them was a respite. They said, we're finding a home. He'll be here a week or two. And he was here for over a year. Oh. And uh, sweet, precious boy. The second day, he asked why his picture wasn't on the refrigerator. But then he wanted his own dresser. And so we unpacked him and he was oh. precious. Oh. But you think about where are those kids going to go otherwise? I have foster kids that I teach and one boy in particular just came in this past week and he said, I'm not going to be here long. I'm just going to be here for a day or two. And I was like, okay, but if you do stay, I'm going to give you some PE clothes and we're going to, he's like, yeah, I'm not going to be staying though. I was like, okay. And those conversations must be so difficult that you're having with him. That's beautiful that y'all do that with them. It's like, you're here permanently until you're not. So, ooh. It is. It's tough. The respite one, when he was four and within, by the end of that next week, he said he made that his home. So he didn't leave. So I just reminded Micah, Hey, I think he's staying. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But when he sat down within that first week, he had gone to bed, but he came to me in the living room. He said, Hey, can I lay with you? I'm like, sure. You can lay down here. He said, okay. Cause he said, I need to sleep by you because you're the mom who never leaves. 
And that, that was at four. So that's what you're saying. It's tough. They get to an age where they don't expect any stability and anything long-term. And he went, he was with us for 13, almost 14 months. And he did go home, which, you know, has been a good thing, but it's still, it's tough. And so he had to have complete stability in our home, which was his own dresser, his own space, his own everything. And that made him feel safe. Mm, Right. Wow. I love that you guys shared about the refrigerator that you saw in that house a long time ago. So what advice would you give to someone who's just getting started on foster care, adoption, foster to adopt? What advice would you give to them? Asking a lot of questions, doing your research, just so you're prepared. So many people go in and, and they just think, you know, we're doing this. It's a good thing. Everything's going to be perfect. You know, find a couple that you can walk with through the journey who's been through it. You know, find some good books. But one thing most people aren't prepared for, because you think, listen, I'm doing what the Lord's calling me to do. You know, he's a father to the fatherless. He has a heart for the orphan. Is people aren't prepared for the spiritual battle. You know, Satan is in the orphan making business, both spiritually and physically on our earth, because he is the opposite of God who adopts us into his family. And so the spiritual battle, a lot of people quit early on because they weren't prepared for the spiritual attacks. And so no one going in, I am fighting against Satan in this deal. And we are serving the Lord. We are doing what's right. But most people don't expect the battle that comes with it. Like what? You're talking about within your marriage, with these kids, within your own mind? What kind of things would you say? So certainly. So attacks on your on your family, you know, whether if you have biological children, attacks on your marriage or you're doubting, you know, attacks even involved in dealing with our CPS system, the state systems and judges and lawyers and even subtle stuff in your own family. You know, so many people take this step of faith and even your own family says, are you sure that's a good idea? Or they'll tell you every bad story they've ever heard about adoption or foster care. And it could be 30 years old. You know, they'll tell you, oh, I had a friend who did this. But even in your own spiritual walk, you know, there's just a spiritual attack. Then you start to question, you know, should we have done this? We've talked to so many couples walking through the struggles. You know, hey, I, I thought it was just going to be great. You know, no problems. Everything was going to be perfect. But the reality is there is a spiritual warfare involved. In. Mm. Because it is God's heart. I have yeah. felt that more and more sharply because of these kids. Yes, they are in a bad place. And they, just like God rescued us, they do need to be rescued, but they don't want to be rescued. Just like we don't want to be rescued sometimes. Yeah. What kind of things do you mind me asking? I know you guys have been through a really hard place. Do you mind me asking for you to share a little bit about that in y'all's own personal journey? Yeah. So, you know, since I was little, I've battled anxiety and depressions and, and those type of things. Came out of a broken home, uh, came out of abuse and various traumas. And so... But we didn't recognize it as that until we began doing foster care. And doing foster care and seeing the trauma these kids go through and their anxieties and their struggles, we began to recognize that was his struggle. Really? So all over the years, I just compensated, never understanding it. You know, never knew to talk to anybody because, you know, we grew up in a time frame where people didn't talk about mental health. And so I didn't recognize what I was doing. So I was compensating by working all the time or doing other stuff. You know, just always trying to stay busy. And, And really, when we transitioned from Paramount, I was their North Campus pastor and transitioned to our other campus, the main campus, to be the missions pastor, or part of the missions team, is when I really, and we've been fostering for a while, been adopted parents for a while, and been watching all these training programs and, you know, different things. And I start, in my own life, start to recognize them, but I kind of compare it to when you're juggling stuff. And my whole life, I've been able to juggle it and compensate for it, though not very good. I thought I was doing good. What in reality, when we got to the next campus and I didn't have the same responsibilities, like all the balls started falling down and I, I couldn't keep faking it. And certainly orphan care compounded that, but also brought some of it to life where I realized, hey, these, these kids are going through trauma. And this is every kid we, we have has been through trauma or had drugs in their system. And so, you know, having to start dealing with my own trauma was not fun. And it was kind of forced on me where my body just started rejecting how I was living. And when you live in stress and panic and anxiety, you know, at some point your, your body starts to reject that. So in, in mine, I just started having these uh, panic attacks on top of depression. And I didn't know what they were. I thought I was having heart problems. A lot of people 
describe these as you think you're having a heart attack. So I was going to the ER quite a bit and they would say, nothing's wrong with you. And I thought, well, something's wrong with me. But it got to a point where my adrenaline would no longer shut off. And so I was just on edge all the time. And finally went to see a Christian doctor and through his encouragement, started walking through the process of healing and going to a counselor, doing those type of things. And so it was a rough stretch. Care was great. Our family was great. The church was great. We had so many sweet friends. But then later, when I preached on that at Paramount, July, a couple of years ago, you know, the church has been a little behind over the years on dealing with mental. You know, I've had all the same answers everybody else had. Pray about it more, have more faith. Mm-hmm. You know, and a lot of times the church, us as Baptists, I'll, put, I'll say, we become Christian scientists when it comes to mental health, meaning we believe it's not real. And so is a stigma. So when I just poured it all out, gave my testimony, said, you know, I spent a weekend patient at a local facility. I was a month outpatient program on medicine. I just laid it all out there. And probably the hardest term I've ever preached in my life, but it probably had no less than 500 people contact me through email or Facebook or in person or counseling appointments. Just, it was an overwhelming amount of people who said, I thought I was the only one to struggle with it and I just lacked faith. And so the Lord's used it. And I've, I've been on some mental health panels. I've been able to preach about it and counsel people, but also, you know, also gives me a greater understanding of kids who walk through trauma. Yes. And, um, and so I don't wish on anybody, but the Lord's redemptive. You know, everything that happens to us, he can redeem for his good. You know, the Lord doesn't waste anything. And I'm thankful for that. You know, Karen might have some I just, perspective on it. I, a lot of, you know, just heard me a lot of what he said, but, you know, I'm the, my glass is always full kind of person, annoying, everything's great, everything's okay, which, I mean, majority of the time it really is. And if it's bugging me, I'll be over in a few minutes. And which is annoying to some people, but that's just, thankfully, <clears throat> the Lord paired us. But what I noticed, um, because, you know, I had a little bit of that mindset, you know, pray, pray harder. Like, are you studying? Are you that, you know, and, and it was Caitlin, who's now nine, which we have discovered, you know, just through testing, she has fetal alcohol spectrum disorder from the, from the time about a year and a half to three years, we began recognizing just some anxiety in her at that young. And it's in those moments seeing her and like, she can't, I mean, she couldn't pray, knew even knowing what to pray to like. And so I began realizing, you know what, this, as Micah said, it's not, it's a real illness. It's something that people really struggle with that you can't pray away, just like cancer, diabetes, all the other ones. And so, like he said, we just seeing our kiddos come in with the trauma that they have. And even, I mean, Isabella is three. We got her when she was four days old, straight from the hospital. You would think the rest of our life, she's great. She's never, the drugs in her system are the rest of her life. And she still struggles with some areas, even at three that she can't control because of how the drugs affected her body and her brain and those type of things. And so it's, you know, when I talk to people about mental illness or things like that, it's real and obvious because you see it in, especially Caitlin, between that, especially the ages two to three, her anxiety was just off the charts that it didn't even make sense at that age to have those struggles and those worries. And she's nine and she is on medicine that helps her anxiety, helps her sleep. And she was literally sleeping four hours a night, not even consecutively. And so she couldn't function the next day. Her adrenaline was just off the chart. She was exhausted. And so everything was just a constant battle for her. And she was in a constant stress. And so, you know, seeing it through kids, you see how real it is. And which helped us, again, recognize a lot of things in Micah's life. And then now we even see a lot of it in our older five biological kids. And they don't have the same type of trauma, but people who've never experienced trauma still can have anxiety and depression. So it doesn't just come from trauma. It's just there. And so it's been a huge eye opener through foster care and adoption, especially with mental illness to see how just incredibly real it is. Well, and so many people discount it because a disability in a child who may have something that is an obvious disability, you may have someone who has, a disability that you can see on the outside isn't any different than like you're talking about with your little baby having fetal alcohol issues. I mean, those kids, it's still a real disability that needs treatment. And if you had a broken leg, you weren't going to make that kid wobble on it. You were going to take them in, get a cast, whatever you needed to do. And especially for believers, sometimes the stigma that is put on whatever help that 
a child or an adult may need. I love how you guys are kind of taking some of that out right now to the listeners, to those you've preached to Micah and shared with Kara about the realities of these issues. You don't just automatically grow out of some abusive situations that you've had. And as you get older, sometimes maybe if you had been medicating with something that is not okay, obviously like alcohol and things like that, you can still medicate with work. You can still medicate with other things. And when that work was taken away or, and then it all comes tumbling down, then the Lord's like, I'm doing this because hopefully on the other side of this, you feel better and you can help your own children and your own family through whatever they may need. So, and we believe, you know, and we believe the Lord, still heals, but he doesn't always choose to. And so, uh, you know, like Paul prayed and said, you know, would you take this thorn, you know, from my flesh or you do this? And the Lord says, you know, in your weakness, you know, I'm going to be shown strong. And, and so we believe the Lord is still capable of healing, but it's just not always his avenue because sometimes there's more glory when we are, you know, some of our disabilities, whether it's mental illness or something else, it forces us to walk in faith that we might not otherwise would have. And so, uh, you know, we trust even in struggles that God is redemptive and he uses it for his glory. And, and so certainly if we had a choice, all of us would choose to be happy and healthy and wealthy. But it's just not always God's plan for our lives. But do and, we need him as much when everything's going all, you know, great or whatever? We don't. I mean, let's, I don't. I don't. I don't call on him as much unless I'm like Paul and saying, I'm weak. All right. I give, I have no way I can do this on my own. Certainly. Mm. And what I've tried to, Josh and Caitlin, um, being the oldest two that we've adopted, they're the two that, you know, we're, we're learning with them. I'm learning with them because I don't understand any of those feelings. I don't have the anxiety, the depression, all that. So I'm learning with them and walking with them. And so as I talk to psychiatrists and counselors and they're always, what is your goal for them? I understand that this is the rest of their life. What happened to them as a child is the rest of their life. So our goal is to help them understand this, this is going to be there forever. So let's not be stuck in it, but let's learn how to live with it mm. and overcome some of those bigger struggles and battles. And, and so, you know, that's the goal is I'm walking through and learning with them is, you know, how to teach them how to live with what is the rest of their life. And not just being so stuck in it that they can't function with it. Yeah, just the and tools that's and helping to get those tools. And it may be medication. It may be some things that we help them get out of. I see a lot of OCD in our war in my world. <laughs> we help with triggering out of that. What what can we? How can we break that to where we move on to something else? And it's difficult to do. That seems to manifest in a lot of kids with trauma. How can we somehow spark a different direction here when we're laser focused, (laughs) you know, and use that laser focus for good. That's a great quality if it's going in the right direction. Thank you guys for sharing that. I have prayed for you guys, for both of you. I know we, we don't really get to talk to each other that often. Our girls were besties. So I I loved their childhood together and how close those two were, even though they were a little different in age. We called Catherine sissy in the day and (laughs) she, I'm sure she loves that, but I loved that we got to, I know that we got to spend so much time together and our girls like sissy went on vacation with us. She hopped in the car for every outing we took and we were just like, yeah, she's with us. Cause I had an only basically at the time with, the oldest went off at college. Chelsea was in college and you guys don't know this, but our adoption journey kind of started. So you were pregnant with Kristen. And at that time, a friend of mine called me and said her sister was had an unplanned pregnancy of twins. Mm -hmm. They were born the same time Kristen was. And I still pray for those two because Stan at the time was like, Oh no, that's, never going to happen. It was boy, girl, twins. And all right, it was, they were born around the same time as (laughs) James was. So it's a blessing to know that God just 
makes what he wants to happen for these kids in his own timing, puts that little seed in there and you don't know how God's going to use it until maybe a lot later. So the show is called Adopting It Forward. We've touched on this already, but how have you guys seen God's story with us? Those of us who asked Christ into our hearts, have you seen it played out with your own adoption story with your kids? You know, uh, like I mentioned, Ephesians 1 a minute ago in passing, but until we adopted and we're in, you know, going to courtrooms and, you know, one of our deals from the beginnings that we're going to be at every, every court hearing, every CPS hearing, every, everything. I take them to every visit. I, I don't feel comfortable putting them in a car with a CPS worker. I joke. I'm like, they're not dogs and they're not drugs. So no, you don't get to transport them. You know, just things like, so we made it our everything. Like, that's like really I great. Well, I don't know that a lot of people know you can do that. This is good that you're saying yeah. something like that. Right. And you have a voice now they can turn you down. But for every time I thought that's not a good ideal, I would voice what I I've got this child in my home and I can tell you what's good and bad for them. And so you have a voice. They don't have to listen to you. But whenever you voice it, then they're like, oh, well, that is a better ideal. And so. Well, like driving the one, the little girl all the way to California. That's so sweet that you guys did that. (laughs) Every child that's left our home, we've driven them to their next place. But, you know, watching the legal proceedings and, you know, watching rights terminated, even in cases where it should be, it was still heartbreaking because, you know, every, every parent, every bio parent, we've tried to make a relationship with and share the gospel with. You know, we've tried to be intentional on staying in touch with them after they leave. Um, but also, even by our parents who've made terrible decisions, we've tried to, you know, hey, you know, your life can be transformed. And mm. so, but sitting in courtrooms and hearing that, and then when we adopted Josh and Caitlin to the legal proceeding, I never really understood our adoption in Christ as much as I did at that point. It, it really changed my view of salvation and my walk with the Lord in the sense that I understood salvation and, and that but didn't get the adoption part. And then when that happened, you know, you're thinking, oh my goodness, you start reading those passages in Ephesians 1 and other passages and thinking, that's what Christ did for us. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, he, goes to, he goes to the courtroom for us. Yes. <laughs> you know, it just made it so much real. And remember Caitlin saying, when we were trying to explain adoption, you know, the kids have known since they were little, they've known their story. And Kara was trying to explain to Caitlin one time, and so she says, you mean, you know, some kids come from your tummy, but some kids come from God's heart. Oh. And, uh, and her understanding was that God's the one that brought them. And, and I was like, yeah, that's, that's it. But it just makes you understand salvation in a whole different, a new way and, and, a, and a needed way. And so it's been incredible in that. And, and also just the amount of open doors God's given us to share the gospel through adoption. Kara you know, having kids in store, she's had an incredible amount of conversations, you know, and we've preached on it in a lot of places, you know, we've done conferences. We're going to have one this spring in our church and promoting orphan care in our area, but just the amount of gospel shares, because, you know, when you talk about foster care and people ask questions and adoption, people ask questions. And, and so Kara has had so many conversations with so many people in grocery stores and, you know, at churches everywhere you can imagine. Uh, we, you know, we've had people in our home, to walk them through the process of what's it look like, mm. you know, even people, you know, I think about Stan in this, um, you know, I spent so many hours with Stan in his pickup outside of gateway, <laughs> you know, he, he spoke so much into my life when we were there, you know, and you know, so I was always frustrated and, you know, and uh, feisty and everything. And Stan spoke so much with my life, but I remember when it came to y'all's adoption journey, you know, it's tough to go from empty nesters, you know, <laughs> Even right now, Karen and I would be empty nesters. Every once in a while, I remind her that, you know, and uh, now, now we're never going to be. But um, but I sat with men in our living room and I've used you guys a story. Yeah, it's tough. You know, these are your empty nester years. And, and, and so God has just used so much of this. And again, I've used y'all story multiple times talking to men who are telling me I want to be an empty nester. And I said, uh, understand that <laughs> yeah, we do. There's, a bless, there's a blessing you won't realize on the other side. Mm. Yes, um, it's true. God's ways are always better than our ways. And I love that you guys said just saying yes, because he's never going to give us something that is for our 
I mean, it's always going to be for our good. And it might be a little painful in there, but it's going to be for our good. So what is something in this year with a weird COVIDness? you changed jobs. So what's been something you've seen hope in, in this year? You know, it's funny because, you know, our agency, we always went through Buckner. You know, their theme is hope shines here. You know, in this this year, we've had to, you know, do things different ways. And again, we had a, you know, a lot of major changes and moving to a town of 400, which we love. And But through everything last year, when we examined this year, so you, you talk about your word this year being hope. You know, our word for the church this year has been by faith. We're looking through Hebrews and talking about just living by faith. And literally, that was a huge step of faith for us to come here. We started... 2021, at a third of the salary, you started 2021. And I'm thinking, Lord, are you sure this was your idea? Uh, <laughs> God has showed us so much this past year. Because, you know, he answered prayers that we've been praying for over a year about pastoring. We've had people ask us, you know, why do you go to a ch- from a church that's running 1,400 to a church that's running eight when we got there? Mm-hmm. And, you know, all those things. But I'm just as excited about ministry and about everything as I've ever been. You know, God is still... Nothing has changed. Our political climate's weird. Our the pandemic is weird. All those things are weird. But in the midst of this, he's called the church to be his light. And so we're living in different times, but it's an open door for the church and for God's people to be light. And so really as I examine 2020, I just thought, you know, to me it was a year of revelation. Things were revealed. And a lot of things that churches were doing, we realized, hey, we can live without that. Right. Uh, some of the the dross was removed, if you will. And we saw things in a, with more clarity. And um, so not everything that happened in 2020 was good for the, everybody. But I do think it revealed a lot of things that needed to happen. And now going into 2021, and I know years are just numbers, but good God use years in the Bible. Yeah, I just want to see us flourish where God has put us. Right. You know, and have an impact. Because I feel like bivocational work, I believe in it. We've been, we've been in it for years and I, yeah. I love that because I feel like he wants Christians in the workforce as well as in, we need to be in the world, not of it. But how about you, Kara? What have you seen that's been hopeful? Like I said, we were kind of already isolating and, and just because of Gracie and, and her medical conditions, but when it really set us down and we had to, you know, do isolation school, all of those things, you know, and like you said, Buckner, their thing, you know, hope shines here. And it's just the ideal that hope shines through the eyes of a child. And so for us with our kiddos already with their struggles with anxiety, with, um, you know, Josh's eating issues, Caitlin, it's anxiety, Samuel, and we're just starting to really see more of, you know, but he deals with impulsive things, just being impulsive, ask his teacher. And then, you know, I was the teacher and so, wow, but just for us, it slowed us down. Yeah. It slowed us down a lot. Even though Gracie was already isolated, we had a home nurse, so I could still go and do, and the kids were still going and doing but it literally slowed us down where we reconnected with each other. And we already, I mean, we weren't constantly going, not near as uh, some people, but I think it gave our kids a chance to breathe and just be home and relax and not constantly what's next, what's next, what's next. Now there are times I got in the car just to drive because they could all be in car seats and not touch me. You don't need to know where we're going. It's okay. Because I just needed to not be touched. Yeah. But even in that, it was grabbing a blizzard, grabbing a blizzard, whatever, just something super little that became our normal weekly thing that they just loved. It simplified our lives. Everybody needed we needed a restart. So that's great. Thank you for sharing that. What's something low key that you have made high key? Something low key that you make high key? <laughs> we were just talking about this and I didn't even realize this was a, a really big thing for me, but it is when I get all the kids in bed, cause they don't all go to sleep. Um, they don't all go to bed in their beds. You say your prayers suck them in and everything's great. They just don't. And so a few of them sit in the litter with me. They go to sleep. I carry them to bed. Isabella at three thinks 11 o'clock is playtime. It's just crazy. And, but once I get them all to sleep and I didn't realize I was really doing it, but Michael walked in the living room one time. It's dark, no lights, no noise. No He's like, what are you doing? Like, I'm just sitting here. <laughs> And that's, and I realized, I'm quiet. <laughs> yeah, and I didn't know, I don't know reading, no fun, just sitting there. And I realized I do that every night. Once I get everybody down, I just, I just sit 
And whether I'm talking to the Lord, whether I'm absolutely totally mind blank, it's just, it's my moment. It's your reset. That's great. A lot of people would say that they would be watching Netflix that whole time. And that, I think that is important to give your mind a, some time just to, okay, I need to be quiet. Mommy's just, (laughs) she's just down. (laughs) Let her reset. Oh, that, yeah, that is really good. How funny. You're like, okay, it's 11 o'clock. It doesn't matter. I just need to. Yes. When I feel a little bad, it's like I should, you know, head to the room and kind of have a conversation with Micah, but I can't even like, I just have no words. I don't want to talk to him. I just don't want to talk. (laughs) Right. You can talk if you need to, but I can't, I don't have any words left. (laughs) I've said no thanks. No thanks. A million times. Yeah. How about you, Micah? What's something low key, Mike high key? You know what I, up until recently, you know, work for the convention and working for at Paramount, you know, really all your time was planned and every lunch was planned, you know, and every, it's one of the things I've been doing now because it's different here in Channing. There's not even a place to eat here, you know, and so, no dairy so at least once a week and it's, and I realize it's looking now, at least once a week, I'll drive somewhere and just have lunch by myself. No appointment. And see, sometimes I'm just sitting in my car and, uh, <laughs> But at least, you know, I'll drive to Dalhart or somewhere, a town's about 30 minutes from us, use it to run some errands. But it's just, mm-hmm. I don't know what it is, but at least once a week, I just sit in the quiet and eat lunch and think about nothing. I don't plan anything. And I just, I might be in a restaurant sometime. I'm, I just look like a lonely guy in a booth over there. But um, <laughs> most times, you know, I go through a drive through and I just sit my pickup and, and it's just a weirdly recharging time. Mm-hmm. And again, I don't listen to the radio or anything. I just sit there and eat. And then just kind of go back about my day. And so I probably do that about once a week. And it's just something little, but it's something that when you've had scheduled lunches for years, mm-hmm. you know, almost every day. And uh, I just thought this is different. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's good. Well, I've read somewhere that, and I really have felt this to be true. I'm, I do that when I'm running, but that's when God can be creative in our minds. He creates things in our minds when we allow that to happen. He's a creative God. He gives us those creative thoughts. I'm glad you guys are getting to do some of that. It is a blessing. I'm so thankful for you guys and just this ministry life. We've gotten to be in this journey for a long time together. I don't know what, almost 20 years or something crazy which in seminary and you were doing college stuff while you're doing seminary and university work all at the same time. And when I look back on that, and I'm so proud of you guys to for working on your marriage, we've had to do that so much. I think a lot of people look at marriages that have been long-term like ours. We're 35 years old. You said you're 31. And some people say, well, yeah, but they've just always been a love. Everything's always been great. We know we've all had some hard places in our marriages and we're still standing and the Lord honors that. He honors that this lifelong commitment that you guys have made to each other and to him. So I just really appreciate you guys and all these precious little kids. Yeah. The baby thing is so amazing and how you guys have navigated a lot of little kids stuff after your big kids. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you guys so much for being so candid and sharing some hard places. I know it's going to minister to a lot of people as they hear that might be going through some of the same things. God bless you guys. Well, thank you. You and Stan have been a blessing in our life a long time. And so I'm thankful for you. Thank you for this ministry you're doing through these podcasts. That's I know we're speaking to people. And uh, so thank you for doing this ministry and for y'all's example. Love you. Wow. This story was full of encouragement. I've watched this couple step out in faith on multiple occasions to minister and give freely even when resources were scarce. I'm thankful for their family and how they said God told them just to say yes and he would do the rest. Foster care and adoption is a daunting task, especially the thought of having to relinquish these little ones you've poured into. And as Micah said, God has called foster parents to love these children with abandon. So it is painful to lose them when you've gotten so close. But the fact that Kara said, if I choose to never say goodbye, Then I Never Get the Hello is probably my favorite quote ever for relationships. 
I tend to do that even stepping into new friendships. I'm so thankful for what Micah shared about his anxiety journey, which is a struggle for so many, especially this past year, and how the foster training videos were instrumental in bringing his struggles to light. These kids who have been through trauma have disabilities that may not be outwardly obvious, but they can still be crippling without treatment. I'm thankful that Micah's church family was able to help with the stigma so often associated with anxiety and depression. Please, friends, if you find yourself in a dark place right now, don't be afraid to reach out for help. Next week is spring break around here, so we're headed down to play with grandbabies Nash and Hadley. Oh, and their parents, too. We'll be back in a couple of weeks with more great stories. Until then, let's all keep adopting it forward. Thank you so much for listening. Can you do me a huge favor? If you're enjoying the adoption stories, please subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts. That way you won't miss an episode which drops every Wednesday. It would also really help if you could leave a positive review. Five stars if you've got them. Do you or someone you know have an adoption story to tell? please reach out to me on Facebook, Instagram, or through our website at largeentrywilliams.org. You can also find our show notes there. Today's show was edited by Will Rice. The whole thing was put together by my favorite guy, Stan. The website, largeentrywilliams.org, is managed by Leslie Serrano. Unconditional love and occasional mischief provided by Golden Doodles, Gus, and Coach. Thanks again for listening. Let's encourage each other as we are adopting it forward.